Totally Football Show. Today, Juve get Ramsey, Man City get Nijngolen in their League Cup semi-final. We discuss putting the hurt on Burton and loads more from what awaits this weekend to Rotters at the Trotters to the Asian Cup. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And in today, we've got Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Tom Williams. Hello, James. Daniel Story. Hello, James. Hi. Daniel, do you, do you remember that you're doing an Asian Cup right yes, now, Chris? Yes, I did. Done my homework. We'll see later on. How is everybody? Tom, you are? Very well, thanks. Great. Rafa, all splendid with you? Wonderful, thank you. That's good. Uh, Daniel, you are fresh back from Wednesday night's excitement at the Etihad. Uh, part of the League Cup semi-finals this midweek. Two evenly matched first legs. Just the one controversial goal at Wembley between Spurs and Chelsea. Nine goals at the Etihad. Crucially, Burton Albion didn't get an away goal. Uh, and, and how was it there, Daniel, for you? It was the most bizarre game I think I've ever seen. Um, really? Yeah, it was. There, there was a period of about 20 minutes in the first half where City went really lax and off the ball and they were only 1-0 up at that point. And you kind of thought, oh, this is a bit of a damp squib. And then... They oh, started... Is that when Burton had that chance? Yeah, and then City scored loads of goals, and again you went, "Oh, that's a bit of a damp squib." Because I'm... City couldn't win either way. It was just, it was completely bizarre. They, they t- obviously totally outplayed Burton, but <sighs> yeah, it, it was. You wrote a bizarre football match as if we were witnessing something so humiliating that it deserves some privacy, like an uncomfortable clinic appointment or a family argument. Yeah, because it, you just you felt sorry for for a professional football team, which feels like it shouldn't happen. That should be restricted to kind of kids' football or computer game stuff. It was yeah, it was it was so humbling and and bless him, Nigel Clough after the game, who'd had his chairman say, this is the biggest night of our lives, etc, etc, just sort of said yeah, we, we can't face, wait to face Doncaster at the weekend now. <laughs> well they were looking forward to their first ever competitive meeting with Man City and to borrow your line they still are. Mm, indeed, mm. it was yeah, it was it was really weird to watch. Right. And yet curiously, the fact that it got to 9-0 made the last 10 minutes Exciting. really compelling yeah. because suddenly there was something else in the game. There was something that Burton could try and achieve which was not conceding a 10th goal. And certainly my my feeling watching it on TV was that the fact that Burton managed to prevent City from getting that 10th goal meant that there was a slight sense of deflation at the end, which is incredible when you think that City had won 9-0. Um, and in, in a way, yeah, had the scoring finished at 8-0, you, you wouldn't have had that. But yeah, really, really odd last 10 minutes. And really comforting as well that a match which was 4-0 at half-time actually saw not just the teams continuing to score, or the team continuing to score, but even more goals in the second, because usually, you know, they just basically shut up shop in the second half. Yeah, I'm not sure I found it comforting, but... Um... <laughs> That's the word you used. I think the sense of shock comes from the fact that this happened at the semi-final stage. If this was mm. the third round of the FA Cup or an earlier round um, in the League Cup. Maxford lost 8-0 to West Ham earlier this season. And in the same no one really yeah. remembers. No. Um, I think the upside for this could be that it could disabuse one or two people with that full nostalgia for the old European Cup format. Because that's what it was like. I'm old enough to remember. You know, playing... Nicosia and you know just ridiculous half mm. of the time so Daniel, let that be... be a lesson to you kids <laughs> <laughs> will you be attending the second leg I, I'm not sure yet although it's very near to my home so yes probably okay I checked uh, the Burton website and it has sold out it's sold up before the game right I suspect it might not be a sellout when it actually comes City, down to it City. I don't know do you not think the Burton Albion fans will be excited to see the incredible 
City and whatever team that because they can't even put out a second team, can they? Because they're all kind of first choice players almost. I mean, I think we'll see as as close to a second team as it's possible for City to put out. I mean, I'm sure there'll be there'll be Burton fans who who, who will go. You know, it's not like it's going to be a completely empty stadium, but it it, it, it will be a curious game. I mean, what's a successful second leg for Burton? Like keep it mm. under five, mm. you know? I mean, Ketton Chopra asks, how long should Burton grow the grass to overturn the nine nil? Deficit. Fent, meanwhile, says, what rule would you change to make the second leg more interesting? Ooh, good question. Mm. I think a sort of Game of Thrones um, mm. type duel where you can appoint someone to play on your behalf. Ooh. And that might help. There is, a, there is a semi-serious point about City kind of going at these two lower league teams in the space of a few days in that Manchester City basically have 10 games between Christmas and the end of January, which was seen as kind of a massive headache. Liverpool, I think, only have six um, maybe seven. Um, and, yeah, it was kind of sold as a headache for Guardiola, but I think actually he prefers it this way. I think after last season, what he wants now is City to get up this head of steam where they feel in- invincible again, and that's exactly what they lost in December. Mm. So I actually think he's probably pretty be- reasonably happy, particularly that the games that seem to be over as a contest within, you know, 40 minutes. So, yeah, they're just kind of getting back into that steamroller side of last season. And second leg now, might we see Phil Foden come on before the 70th minute? I mean, that's an exciting possibility. <laughs> Shout out as well to Carl Anker, who tweeted out the score cap, MC Burt, and added, and DJ Ernie, to widespread approval. What's that in reference to, Tom? Uh, it says me streets, I believe. Very nice. OK, well, there was another semi-final. On Tuesday, a narrow Spurs lead, a controversial goal, and a reminder of how much fun... We're going to have next season with technology. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Va, va, va. Va, va, va. Ich lieb dich nicht, du liebst mich nicht. Va, va, va. Ich lieb dich nicht, du liebst mich nicht. Va, va, va. Yep, a, uh, a less eventful game than many had expected... But the key moment, 26 minutes in, Kepa brings down uh, Harry Kane. There's a penalty awarded. Kane dispatches it. But the linesman's flag was up. So it goes to Stockley Park. And we wait what felt like a long time. I think it was actually under two minutes. 93 seconds. 93 seconds. And then Stockley Park came back and said that it was a penalty. But the, the still that they showed... Show, proved nothing for me. Well, the VAR still suggested that Harry Kane had been played on side by Cesar Azpilicueta's foot. But then after the game, when Maurizio Sarri was interviewed on Sky, mm. he produced an image from Chelsea's own um, analysts um, taken from square on, whereas yep. the VAR picture had been taken from further down the, the touchline, which, which suggested that, that the Kane of Kane's was lead, offside. Which suggests that his head, at least, and shoulders mm. were offside. But PG Mole... <laughs> which oversees all the refs, came back and said that the um, the screenshot that Chelsea had provided was actually taken a few frames after the VAR image. And the proof for that was that the ball was blurred. Hmm. Um, so, in fact, the decision was correct and the goal was, was right to stand. Nothing to see here. Please move on. Well, my issue with Tuesday night's use of VAR, and indeed its use in City out this season, is that the interruption... That it that it brings just ruins the enjoyment of the whole thing. And ironically, we've just had an argument off 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 this whole topic, which did much the same thing to this podcast. So rather than put you through all of that, listeners, here's selected highlights. 
sport. It's not an empirical business. I prefer a imperfect football is. with some mistakes in it rather than one in which we stop it to try and get every single thing I, right. Because be you the... break up the fluidity of, of football, you break up the whole momentum but off, of emotion. But, but, but the offside I, I think, I think thing is not the about, same opinion. But the offside is, is, is the, the perfect moment because there is no fluidity at that moment. Worked very seamlessly at the World Cup. There was not a single contentious offside goal and the emotions were not affected at all. By that. VAR's biggest problem is that the people bringing it in and the people at the top of the game have underestimated the extent to which tribalism rules football fandom now. It's unsatisfying because it's imperfect and because we're still getting used to it, but over time it will get better. The decisions will get quicker. People will learn you know, more about you VAR. You didn't find it a problem when this, when the, when this whole interruption happened on... Uh... No, because I'm, I'm now used to VAR. Football fans now are constantly looking for a way out, a way of explaining something. And whether that's blaming technology or whether that's blaming refereeing decisions or whether that's blaming lots of the media, lots of things. I don't think it will eliminate controversy. I think we'll just have longer and longer arguments about something else. Like I, do you, like the first weekend of the Premier League season, yeah. like watching the highlights and there's a contentious decision and you're expecting them to go to VAR because of the World Cup and they didn't. And you're like, oh, you know, slightly disappointing. And there's some ridiculous decisions being made because VAR was not available. The principle of VAR, I understand that you want to get everything right, but while it's performing a body blow to the whole spirit of, of what makes football entertaining, just don't bring it in until you're ready. Tell you what, it has put Stockley Park on the map. Mm. Yeah. Uh, have you have you seen the VAR studios at Stockley Park? Daniel? Yes, I have. Yes. All right, but have you been inside? No, I just They're, from outside. It's this glass box in, yeah. the, in the middle of the top floor of the kind of PLP uh, Premier League TV headquarters, and and uh, you're not allowed in. You have to have a special card and probably fingerprint retina scan and stuff. Anyway, back to the game. Advantage Spurs and Chelsea really need a striker. Rafa. Um, amidst all this Callum Hudson Odoi business, why don't they ask for Lewandowski in a swap deal with Bayern? <laughs> It's uh, it's unlikely that Bayern would uh, acquiesce to that request. That's mm. why they don't ask for it. Okay, uh, is Hudson Odoi going to Bayern? I think so. Yes. Um, you don't often see clubs submitting four bids up until the point where they believe the asking price has now been met. If they don't feel that this is a deal that is actually just um, waiting for the selling club to to approve, I think Chelsea have a problem that they don't want to be seen to be selling this guy. Whereas probably a few months ago, they would have said, OK, he's not starting. He's threatening us to run on his contract. We can extract a lot of money. This is a no-brainer. But now I think there's a whole PR sort of campaign and uh, and people maybe putting pressure on, on Chelsea or, or, or kind of using it as a stick to beat them with a little bit. And perhaps they're in, in two minds. But I don't think there's any other way out of it because if the player is adamant that he's leaving... You cannot really wait and hope that he will change his mind. That's not really a um, a useful concept in business. And Chelsea is run as a business. They will ultimately take the money, I think. OK, Grant James asking, who exactly is he going to be competing with for minutes uh, at Bayern Munich? Or will he be loaned out to a Werder Bremen or a Hoffenheim? No, he'll only be loaned out, loaned out if it, it really doesn't work out. Like it, it didn't with Renato Sanchez. So there is a sort of a cautionary tale there if you want. Not every young hyped player is is immediately going to be a success at Bayern. It's diffi- more difficult as well to get regular game time at Bayern than it was for Jadon Sancho at Dortmund. So again, an uh, imperfect comparison. What's happening next season with Bayern is that they'll have four players for the wide positions and I don't think any of them are so guaranteed starters. 
but there'll be enough opportunity for the four of them over the course of the season to have 20 games each, I would think, or maybe 24 games each. And he will have to compete with the likes of Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman and um, Alfonso Davis, who's another um, young, promising teenager who Bayern have just bought from Vancouver in MLS. So I don't think necessarily his position is any more difficult or easy as it would have been mm. going up next season against the likes of Villian and um, and Pedro right. with Hazard perhaps not being there. I think this is a sort of a deeper footballing decision which is informed by what's happened to him so far by thinking that he will have more of an opportunity to become perhaps more valued if he is a, a big player in the sense of a big transfer fee and being treated differently rather than just coming through the ranks where mm. you're kind of taken for granted almost by clubs. And this is not specific to Chelsea. This is a lot of young players feel like that. Um, and of course, Bayern would have put together a huge package, you know, uh, financially very, very lucrative, perhaps more so than the initial deal that he turned down reportedly in the summer when Chelsea put a five-year contract on the table for him. Wow. A Bayern who are, what is it, six points behind yep. Dortmund at the moment in the Bundesliga, putting together an, an exciting young team for next year. Benjamin Pavard, also a scorer of that amazing goal against Argentina, of course, in the World Cup, but more regularly to be seen turning out for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. Yeah, um, I mean, that's one of those deals that was sort of an open secret for quite a while. Uh, Bayern, I think, had tried to, or at least thought about getting him in for January, but now was officially officially decided it's going to come in the summer. He had a release clause of 35 million euros. And even before the World Cup, Bayern were negotiating with him and felt that they had an agreement. So this has, had been coming for a long time. Chelsea, meanwhile, so we're not sure who they're going to get. There's talk of 50 million for Callum Wilson of Bournemouth. There's also talk of them going in for Higuain out of Milan, who would be reunited with his former Napoli boss, Maurizio Sarri. But... They, I mean, this game was further evidence of what, how much is this impacting their form at the moment, Daniel? Yeah, and and potentially beyond that, how much it's impacting Eden Hazard's general contentment, which might well be the big Chelsea issue. If he prefers to play out on the left with no defensive responsibilities, but also not playing that centre forward role, and he's not doing that, then that potentially shapes his decision for the summer. I think. Um, generally, teams that plan well don't buy big in January unless they're buying for the long term and neither Gonzalo Higuain or I don't think Callum Wilson especially for that sort of money strikes as anything other than oh goodness me we need a striker um, I don't think there's been any surprise in Alvaro Morata's form that we hadn't seen last season and I think we've got just about as much from Olivia Giroud as we expected we would so I, I struggle to see how Chelsea are surprised by this problem and if they aren't if they are surprised they shouldn't be if they aren't surprised I don't see spending 50 million on a on a striker with a history of serious knee injuries at 27 is really the answer and I'm certain that Gonzalo Higuain isn't the answer mm. I guess they must have believed that uh, Alvaro Morata would, would maybe refine his touch with a different mm. set of um, players around them or certainly a different style under Sari and it obviously hasn't happened so no. mm. I think I think I think Morata's confidence is pretty broken mm. if you speak to speak to people that follow Chelsea very closely they aren't surprised by the lack of form this season you know I, I know Mauricio Sarri could have caused a you know a, a spike in him in his form but it feels like he, he he's never really considered Chelsea as his natural home and I think he probably just needs to move back to Italy or Spain 
this business of playing Hazard as a lone striker, it almost seems like it's become a rite of passage for Chelsea managers. Like Mourinho did it a bit, Conte did it a bit, Sarri's now doing it. Obviously, I guess the, the comparison for Sarri will be what he did with Dries Mertens mm. at Napoli. And if he could do to Hazard what he did to Mertens and turn him into a 30-goal-a-season striker, that would be sensational. But I, I, don't think, I don't think Hazard's ever going to be that player. And I can't see this experiment persisting much longer because... He might think that Hazard is is the best equipped of his forward players to play through the middle, but you lose so much when you put Hazard there. We know that he doesn't enjoy playing there. You know, he said so himself. So the sooner that they can get a striker in the team and, and put Hazard back on the left where he wants to be, the better. Three clean sheets in a row for Spurs, meanwhile. Seven goals in his last six for Harry Kane, which is all good news for Tottenham supporters ahead of their game this weekend, which is a biggie. We'll come on to that after this. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed Paddy Power because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game so everything is exciting. Plus you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Premier League is back with a bang, Rafa, with a bang. Sunday afternoon, 4.30 at Wembley. Man United are there. Man United have been on that march towards the top four from 13 points behind to only six now. And this weekend they could conceivably reel in fifth place side Arsenal. It's the first real test. Is that fair of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign? What's going to happen, Tom Williams? It's hard to call this. I mean, like you say, United have been on this great run of form. Obviously, the, the feel-good factor is is back under Solskjaer. But again, they've not they've not played anyone particularly daunting in that run. Uh, Spurs are in great form. They've won um, eight of the last nine. Um, I think the, the concern for Spurs would be fatigue. I think second half particularly against Chelsea they kind of gave up the ghost a little bit I mean Chelsea ended up dominating possession didn't create that many chances because as we've just been discussing they don't really have a a target man but uh, yeah it it wasn't that convincing a win for Tottenham so Mm. you know United have got a bit of form behind them um so they'll go into it in a positive frame of mind. But yeah, I think I'd, I'd still I'd still back Spurs. While Spurs were exerting themselves against Chelsea, United were off sunning themselves in Dubai and eating steak with Salt Bay. Have you have you ever eaten the Salt Bay steak, Rafa? I haven't, James, no. Not even the gold, gold one Not that even got that Frank Ribery into trouble? No, no. I swear I've seen about 15 different footballers right. eating at his little his steak place in Dubai on Instagram right. in about the last four days. It seems to be the only thing to do if you go well, to Dubai. Well, Frank Ribery says he was invited, so of course, you know, if it's not just goal, it's also three. Mm, yeah. you, would, you would go as well, wouldn't you? I would, actually. Can I just, just put that on the record? <laughs> yeah, this is a shout-out. In, ca- in case he's listening. Hi, Salt. Um, Rafi, you'll be Big keen fan. to know what's happened in previous meetings between, between these sides. Salt Bay and Frank? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a different kind of meeting. Uh, anyway, sorry. Well uh, done, Spurs. James. Well done. There's Thanks. a lot of steak. Hey. Well done, well done. <laughs> uh, Rafa, I know you don't care much about previous meetings, but United wins are quite rare, funnily enough. Right. Hey. Right. Yeah, United haven't won an away game against Tottenham since March 2012. My which word. Which is seven years ago. And, you know, gone are the days of lads, it's Tottenham. Um, yeah. Or so it would appear. I, one thing I would say about this game 
it, from Manchester United perspective, it's the first game where Solskjaer is not going to be uh, in the spotlight and the focus. This is going to be a Sky Sports Mauricio Pochettino fest. There's no doubt about that. Um, it will be seen as his audition for a job that no one actually knows if he even wants. Um, so I think that might help Solskjaer. It might enable him to kind of go slightly into the background a little bit. Um, and they are the underdogs, there's no doubt. If we look at the, the form that, you know, they lost 3-0 at home to Spurs early in the season mm. under, under Mourinho. So they are the underdogs and I think that might might just help them and enable them to kind of play on the break a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean, they will definitely, I think, take a leaf out of uh, Wolves' playbook um, who met a very fatigued Spurs that day and just killed them on the break um, in the in the latter stages of the second half and I think that's going to be a very similar game plan and I don't I don't think Spurs are huge favourites here because a really really good Spurs and a sort of stuttering and we're not quite sure United there still isn't that much between those two sides It's Sun's last game potentially before uh, he heads off to the Asian Cup more on which shortly Daniel Michael Cox raising the question on Twitter if Spurs move to their new ground it's a big if at this point uh before, before the last five home games of the season, damaging the integrity of the competition, etc., which opponents would be put at a disadvantage? The first 14 opponents or the final five opponents or minimal difference between the two? Probably the last opponents, I think, because think- Spurs don't really enjoy playing at Wembley, even though you know the form there has been good. And you suspect that once they get into the new place, it'll be rocking. There'll be a sense of, finally, you know, we've kind of got this monkey off our back. This is the, the new era begins here. So, is it is it not that they didn't like playing at Wembley, but they didn't like playing at a new ground they weren't familiar with, and won't that effect be replicated when they move into the refashioned? No, there is some there is some data, even though it's probably small sample sizes, that stadium moves are beneficial. Beneficial, yes. Um, okay, I think that's particularly true if, as is now reported, Arsenal might be their first game. Um, they will obviously have no problems with things like atmosphere anyway. I thought the Met said that they couldn't possibly have their first game there being such a high profile. They did, but that's what Daniel Levy would now like. That's what he is now pushing for, reportedly pushing for. And if that's the case, then that would certainly be an advantage to Tottenham. Cut to March when uh, Spurs (laughs) are predicting entering the new stadium in May. (laughs) Well, I I think it'll be next season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, let's move on then. As I mentioned, if United were to win this... They could finish the weekend level on points with Arsenal, who themselves have a difficult-looking game. They will be visiting West Ham in the early kickoff on Saturday. Looks a sizzler, this. Arsenal, who, by the way, uh, drew Man United in the FA Cup fourth-round draw on Monday. We can talk about that a bit later on if you want. But what about West Ham against Arsenal? Daniel, you're going to this. Yeah, I think Another it's 9-0 a... and for whom? <laughs> it's, it, it's a massive test for Arsenal. It, it feels quite a, an, you know, an incisement game for, for Emery because... Those defensive deficiencies, particularly away from home, have just started to kind of creep back in, um, largely because they've got fairly rotten defenders and they've got a bit of an injury crisis. Koscielny, the latest two. Yeah, so he, he, he pulled out in the warm-up, I think I'm right in saying. Um, we don't know if he's fit yet, but that came about because he's been playing too much football because he's had to be rushed back because the other options are not good enough. So, yeah, a West Ham team with little to lose and with Marco Anatovic back and Felipe Anderson in good form... And Andy Carroll play, was described as playing like a drunk wardrobe um, <laughs> the other day. Who was that? Was that a Barney Roney? No, it wasn't. It was um, Dan Silver, who's a, a former Mirror writer and, and West Ham fan, described him as playing like a drunk wardrobe. I see. Um, he but, did score against Birmingham, though, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he, he scored twice quite famously in a 3-3 draw with Arsenal at home, 2015-16, I think. Oh, yeah, I think he got a hat-trick in that oh, was it a hat-trick? Yeah, yeah. 
And that was back at Upton Park. Very different days, both for West Ham and Andy Carroll. Mm. OK, it was 3-0 to Arsenal at the start of the season at the Emirates. Spectacular own goal from uh, Issa Jop, if you recall. Uh, do, do you get a hazard prediction on this one, Rafa? I would think that Arsenal still win this one. Um, I, I'm not really on board the um, West Ham train just yet. Um, they haven't proved, but they're still a mid-table team who tend to beat the teams below them and tend to lose against the teams above them. So, on that basis, <laughs> I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. I see. Yeah, I mean, West, West Ham's form is quite patchy. I think one one win in four in the league. I mean, as, as Daniel says, I mean, Arsenal defensively will give you chances. I quite like the thought of Arnautovic going up against that Arsenal back three or four or whatever it will be. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Arsenal's defensive deficiencies were, were highlighted in that, that drubbing they got at Anfield uh, what was that, a couple of weeks ago. But then, you know, they beat Fulham pretty comfortably. They beat Blackpool in the FA Cup. I think when they play teams below them, they're generally comfortable. So, yeah. Arsenal win. All right. We'll find out early Saturday. Meantime, <clears throat> confirmation, although perhaps not yet officially, that Aaron Ramsey will be joining Juve at the end of the season. Free transfer. And I know we've touched on this before, but really puzzling to see him leave, I would think, for Arsenal supporters. I know that that's the way that the contracts have worked out, but uh, Rafi, you're frowning about this. It not, makes sense to you? It's not puzzling at all if you see the kind of figures um, that Juventus are prepared to paying him. Mm. Um, Arsenal, I think, would have been absolutely crazy. Same kind of figures that Arsenal are paying Mesut Ozil? Slightly lower than that. Right. But that is not to say that, you know, they should make the same mistake twice uh, and especially commit themselves to a five-year deal for a 28-year-old who has had some problems with injuries Mm. and I think is seen to a certain extent by Emery as a luxury player, a player that gives you lots of goals and lots of action and lots of really good stuff happening in the final third. Yeah, assist galore. At the price of having a bit more stability and kind of strategic value in front of the back four where uh, Torreira and Genduzzi, when they play with a three, are often left alone holding the can. I think that's been the issue, um, the way Emery seasoned. As soon as those kind of figures were, were named by, allegedly by Ramsey's people, you know, when it came to this new deal... They're talking think, about, what, 280,000 Gross. Yes. A, a, a week, would that be? A week, yes, not a month. <laughs> um, I think Arsenal, uh, with the blessing of Emery, felt, you know what, that that price is not quite right. We can't quite justify that, and it is it is a lot of money. There's, there's also not necessarily a, a natural place for Aaron Ramsey and Emery's team. If he's going to push forward with this uh, with a kind of 4-2-3-1 formation with Ozil as the creator assuming that that you know assuming that that's patched up and works out in the long term then Ozil will be that number 10 you'd hope that one of you know you'd hope that they'd farm Alexander Lacazette out on the left so Bamiyang as the striker and probably Alex Wobi or Henrik Mkhitaryan on the right Aaron Ramsey has never really had the discipline to play in a two in midfield, particularly if that other two isn't a superstar holding midfielder, which they don't possess and don't have the money to buy. So mm. it's not really a natural fit for him. So I think it probably works for all parties. Uh, Drew the Gooner says, could you ever see a scenario where Ozil goes back to the Bundesliga? No. Um, impossible to see because the wages he's on at the moment uh, will make it prohibitive for anyone apart from Bayern to make this happen. Um, I don't think Bayern are in the market for him and I think he's absolutely adamant that he's going to see out his contract come what may at Arsenal. 
people of the Totally Football shows. You know what you could be listening to right here? You. Your company, your product, out here in front of hundreds and thousands of listeners who are mostly men between the ages of 25 and 44. As well as the twice-weekly Totally Football show, we've got a network of other football shows. There's Galazzo for the discerning Cosmopolitan listener. There's the Totally Football League show for the loyal Hardy listener. And there's the Totally Scottish Football Show for your listener who likes those big square sausages. And we've got even more podcasts on the way in 2019, some of them not even based around football or indeed sport. To discuss advertising on one of the Totally Football Shows or across the Muddy Knees Media Network, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. We reach well over a million pairs of ears each week and now you can too. Email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Tommy Stats, maybe a comment on the situation going on at Bolton, not the Premier League, but it is getting really hard as a Trotter supporter at the moment. All right then, tally-ho to the Championship, Daniel Story, where the club's players, Bolton's players, have appealed to the PFA. They haven't received November's wages. Clubs have started taking their on-loan players back from Bolton Wanderers. Norwich, uh, taking back Remy Matthews. And Forest Green Rovers, Christian Doidge, Forest Green Rovers also taking the unusual step of printing up T-shirts attacking the Bolton chairman and giving the profits to a Bolton supporters' trust. Yeah, Dale Vince, uh, who is a very canny, savvy bloke anyway, the Forest Green uh, owner, has yeah has forged a relationship between Bolton supporters who are fed up of, of, of their owner, Ken Anderson, who is a bizarre figure. Um, he's a... He's released a number of statements in the last few days attacking supporters and telling them to focus on the positives. Bolton lost the last game 6-0 at Hull and are in the relegation zone in the Championship and are potentially not going to be a club in five, six months' time because they're already being issued with another set of winding-up orders from uh, HMRC and other other bodies uh, for money owed. Um, they're, they're in, the club's immediate future was saved in September by a £5 million loan to pay players' wages, um, which was only gained because Ken Anderson took it off the last owner who passed away four days later. So it was kind of his parting gift to, to secure the club's survival while he was passing away. Um, but that's just, you know, it's, it's nothing more than a stick of t- piece of stick and plaster over a, a massive gaping wound because they are in, yeah, huge, huge trouble. And, and this is a club who, lest we forget, were kind of poster boys of... Mm. Premier League overachievement not that long ago. Was it was Bayern Munich? Yes. Discovered, yeah. What was that? Just over a decade ago, Rafa. Yeah. Two oh, or seven or eight, was it? Yeah. Mm. There you go. But okay, so real famous pro- game because afterwards, um, Karl Rummenigge came out and said, "Football is not mathematics," and this was the beginning of the end for Otmar Hitzfeld, who would always pride himself on getting the right rotation policy in order. And with that sentence, he basically killed him I see well the situation looking dramatic for Bolton right now in the relegation zone as you say what are the I mean the debts were catastrophic a few years ago what are they looking like yes, now the, I think 2014 they were 168.3 million um, they're less now but only because the, the former owner wrote off about 180 million's worth of debt wow um, and they're losing money and yeah there's there's no real end in sight the only the only other option is or the only realistic option is to other than going into liquidation is to be bought out but buyers don't really want a club that's on the way down they'd rather buy a club that's at absolute rock bottom when you can get them for nothing um so i don't know is the honest answer mm. well there'll be further discussion about or there is further discussion about bolton available over on the totally football league show 
which this week's hosted by our friend Matt Davis-Adams. So, yeah, do have a listen to that. On a happier note, if you'd like to know what's going on in the world of TV, another of our Totally shows, which is actually not called Totally anything, it's called Series Linked, is out now with special guest Eamon Holmes. Ha! Uh, what's that? Daniel, would you like to hear a clip? All right, then. On a Saturday night, a lot of people may not realise, but television, like BBC Two and Channel 5 in particular, have got a lot of programmes that are factual orientated. They may be barge journeys, they may be about icebergs, and I tend to sit down and just find myself transported by these things on a Saturday night. Eamon Holmes, they're one of Channel 5's biggest presenters. Not saying the biggest, but he's certainly up there. Anyway, you search for Series Linked wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's good news. Uh, Eurasian Cup roundup's coming up very soon. We've got to talk about what's going on at the top of the Premier League, Tom. It's exciting. Oh, yes. Liverpool, do you remember? Uh, They got beat by Man City, so they're four points clear of of City. This weekend, I wonder, could we be set for another shift in momentum? As City, who are currently scoring a goal, by my calculations, every 11 minutes, face Wolves while Liverpool travel to Brighton. Liverpool, on Monday, followed up their City loss with defeat to Wolves. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, as we've seen from almost all the Premier League clubs, uh, Liverpool made a number of changes. Um, had a bunch of teenagers, Rafael Camacho, uh, Curtis Jones, and then um, injury to Dejan Lovren brought on 16-year-old Kiana Herber. Um, so this was very much not a full-strength Liverpool team. Are you sure it's not pronounced team. whoever? I want it to be pronounced whoever. I suspect it's probably not. Herber. Herber. He I'm looked going good, with didn't Herber. He? he did look good. He had like a he went on a little run in the second half that everyone got very excited about. But yeah, good to see a young um centre back playing with that sort of confidence. I think what it showed is that, you know, Wolves are a very good team. They've now either won or drawn against each of the, the big six this season in all competitions and including if, including Man City earlier this season. Including Man City. Um and if you take chances against them, if you, you know, make changes to your starting eleven and pick a bunch of teenagers, you're running the risk of defeat. And that's what happens to Liverpool. Did you enjoy Ruben Neves's goal? I did. I must admit, when it went in, my first thought was that Simon Mignolet was possibly slightly at fault. But then you looked at the replay and he hit it so powerfully and with so much dip on it. I don't think anyone would have got any, anywhere near it. Did you enjoy the um, Wolves supporter eating his pie while all around <laughs> yeah, him celebrating? Yeah, I did see that. We've all been there. That was definitely a Liverpool supporter, surely. And, uh, you know, he, I know, because he was surrounded by like jubilant fans. Yeah, but that's just a, I think that's just a fan that snuck into the home end, wanted to try the very famous Wolves Balty Pie, but just trying to stay quiet while I thought. How good is the Wolves Balty Pie? It's very good, yeah. I think it's uh, Kidderminster Harriers who have the reputation of the best pies in, in England. Okay. Um, but yeah, Wolves is good. Nice. So Man City hosting Wolves and Liverpool making the trip down to Brighton without Dejan Lovren? Did his hamstring, is that right? So he's out for a bit. Looks like it, yes. That's mm-hmm. the only update. So. Okay, Virgil van Dijk's the only fit senior defender, according mm. to my notes, which raises all sorts of questions about who's going to play at the back. Fabinho, maybe? Yeah, I'm not sure. So. Yeah, He's probably the best option. Okay. Brighton, Rafa, as you surely know, have the best home form in the Premier League of anybody outside the top six. Mm. It's a tough place to go to, as they say. Although, I... this might be a good time to do it, since they don't have Matt Ryan or Hakambash. And sorry, because I know I've probably pronounced that wrong again, but Hakambash, because they're off at the Asian Cup, Daniel. Indeed they are. I just want to say on quickly on Liverpool, um, there seems to be a, a slight momentum behind this is going to be a horrible game for Liverpool. They're going to a difficult place to play. But if Liverpool play as they did against Manchester City, against 15 or 16 Premier League teams, they'll beat those teams and they'll win the league. So this is not 
there are ways to lose games and the, they lost the right way to Manchester City, I think. So I, I don't see this, oh, the pressure's on them. So I think they'll go to Brighton and win by a couple of goals. OK. Pressure is on, though. I think they'll be fine. OK. You'll make Klopp all... Seriously, Klopp will just say, it's business as usual. We earned the right to lose to Manchester City. We mm-hmm. still have a four-point lead. We're better than Brighton. Just go out and show it. And I think they probably will. What I meant is, um, I agree with you on, on the Manchester City game, but I think the FA Cup result and and man of the performance and lineup has made this slightly more pressurized because doesn't doesn't it ease the pressure in, in the sense that now Liverpool apart from being four points better off in the table will also be potentially as many as I think eight games lighter than Man oh, City yeah, no, of course. The I think season. that was very much at the forefront of uh, Jurgen Klopp's mind when he picked those team but I'm saying going into this game mm. you I think as a manager need to prove that what you've done so far was the right decision and if you basically bin oh, yeah. the FA Cup and then lose more momentum and lose more ground because you lose your second game in the league then I think there's a, a warranted um, wave of criticism coming your way so it is I think a, a must win game in that sense yeah. for the for the momentum for the kind of feel good factor and it so often happens had. isn't it that you, that, you, that you rest players and you lose that winning habit we'll see this weekend I guess Tom we will indeed. Nice to see Mo Salah enjoying a little uh, shimmy on stage at the CAF African Player of the Year Award. I'm not sure in, enjoy is quite the word, but he, <laughs> he, he sort of allowed himself to be swept up in it. Yes. That's Saturday afternoon's clash, Brighton-Liverpool and City-Wolves. You have to wait till Monday night for that one. Wolves, it is hard to get a fix on. Excellent win against Spurs. Terrible 2-0 defeat at home to Palace. What awaits us on Monday? Who can say? I know what awaits us on the other side of our next bit, and that's Daniel's Asian Cup Roundup. Woof. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Um, Tom Williams would just like to point out that exciting though your Asian Cup Roundup is, there's even more exciting cup chat later on with the French League Cup. Tom, Indeed. It is good. Oh, it's very good. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. And all sorts of other stuff about like Timothy Ware and Monaco, and, and all that jazz. All that stuff later on. But Mark Malbus says, who's impressed the panel most after the first round of Asian Cup games? Daniel. Well, Jordan are the, the standout achievers, having beaten Australia, who play Palestine this weekend in a must-win game that they will win. Um, over the last Since we talked on Monday about the Asian Cup, basically every favourite has won. Hmm. But the standout game was Japan playing very lowly Turkmenistan and were 1-0 down at half-time and then conceded late and kind of eventually held on to a 3-2 win but um, they will need to up their game because they are kind of probably joint second favourites behind South Korea, I'd guess, for the tournament with Australia. Similarly, China had a bit of a scare when they took on Kyrgyzstan. Yes, that Uh, was kind of played almost as we were recording, I think, on Monday. Yeah. And they... I think last-minute winner, basically, to win 2-1. Right, they came from behind for that one. Kyrgyzstan ranked 91st in the world. Marcello Lippi, the China manager, saying the problem is all Chinese clubs only buy foreign forwards. And to fill out my squad for this competition, I've had to use a central defender up front. Wow. Yeah. China's next game will be against Sven Joran Eriksson's Philippines. <laughs> Oof. I think that's on Friday. When you can also enjoy the delights of Kyrgyzstan against South Korea. Well, today there's India, who are one of the big favourites, aren't they? Uh, not one of the big favourites, but they they won their first Asian Cup game for 
generations uh, and they play UAE today, which is mm. a, a harder test. They beat Thailand 4-1 in their first game, but that was kind of a, that was a massive result for them. If they beat the worst team in that group, they'll qualify. So I suspect this is they'd be happy with a draw against UAE for sure. Okay, how quickly can the likes of Brighton expect Matt Ryan back? Australia off to a losing start. How long does this competition go on for? As long as as our European Championships, because it, it is that tournament. It's a twenty fourteen tournament now, so it is a long it's a long month. Um, so yeah, and I mean Australia lost their first game, but they will qualify from the group stage almost certainly. So yeah, not it'll be some absence. The, the other Brighton player is, as you say, Achenbach, who is uh, Iranian. Uh, and they are probably fourth favourites of the tournament. OK, they, their opening result, a 5-0 win over Yemen. Indeed, who are, without being patronising, but being very patronising, just happy to be there. Right. Back to the Premier League, where there's an interesting weekend in prospect at the bottom. Palace's recent run of form has taken them six points clear of the bottom three. They'll be hosting Watford. On Sunday, Benteke, Christian Benteke is back in full training, apparently. Perhaps, Rafi, will be excited by the two absolutely huge games between basically four of the bottom six. You've got Cardiff-Huddersfield, Huddersfield on nine defeats in a row currently, and Burnley taking on Fulham. That's Saturday afternoon. Well, they're both Saturday afternoon. They are, they are huge games, um, I think, especially for Huddersfield, who need a bit of um, encouragement um, because I think they're close to sort of saying, this is probably not going to work out for us if they lose now. What would it be the tenth? You said tenth. Uh, yeah, it would be a tenth defeat in a row. I think it'd be very, not very in tough. all competitions. That no, of course, mm. in in the league, um, and for Burnley, a real danger of um, of going down. I think if they lose, um, because after finishing seventh last season, I don't think we expected them to be in any sorts of trouble, really. And you have teams that um, teams below them who seem to be getting a little Can bit. I just start, are you sure about that? Burnley have been in a better form. They're now out of the bottom three. They've won two in a row, haven't they? Yeah. No, Burnley. but I'm saying if they lose. Yeah. To Fulham. To lose. Oh, if they would lose Fulham, yeah. then, to Fulham, okay. Then it'd be only one point clear. Um, and Southampton could leapfrog them. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting down there because you have teams that you think are, are still getting a little bit better. Um, in the sense that you know Fulham, you th- the results are not great, but you think you know they will be maybe improving. I think that's the sense. Southampton have certainly improved. Mm. Um, Cardiff are doing better than expected, mm. and um, it puts real pressure not just on on Burnley, but I think even Newcastle and, and Palace are not. Yeah, I was going to say New- this is Newcastle go away to Chelsea this weekend, where we we know how they will play. We know what Rafa Benitez will do back at his uh, very welcoming home. Um, and yeah, with everyone else playing each other, Newcastle could quite easily be in the bottom three by the end of the re- weekend, right. which would be, I just can't see how that, it feels worse than last season. I know they have about the same number of points, but it feels worse than last season because we're a- another year into this interminable exit strategy of It's like of a zombie Ashley. club, really. It is. And there's talk of Mig- Miguel Almiron, who's right. supposed to be coming in from MLS, but um, some reports say that They've agreed a fee, but not personal terms. Some say they've agreed personal terms, but not a fee. It is all Mike Ashley's PR game to keep people believing. You don't think Almiron's going to be coming? Uh, no, I don't. I, okay. don't. I don't trust Newcastle's hierarchy to get anything done, and, and this would be a good piece of business. So I, I'm inclined to think they won't do it. I see. It's a tough game this weekend, certainly with, without him or any of the reinforcements that might come in January. Of course, it was January moves that turned their season around 
last season when Kennedy came in on loan and Dubravka, yeah. Mm. Um, this clash at Stamford Bridge, the, the former Napoli manager Derby, of course. Also this weekend, Saints are at Leicester in the Claude Puel Derby. You've got the one win in eight Derby between Everton and Bournemouth, mm. uh, who will be taking on each other Sunday. And as I mentioned, Palace playing Watford. All very exciting. What are you most looking forward to out of that, Tom? I mean, Spurs United is is the big one, isn't it? But I think Cardiff-Huddersfield will be interesting. You look at Huddersfield's next four mm. after that, Man City at home, Everton at home, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. I think if Huddersfield don't win at Cardiff... I mean, Huddersfield are down, aren't they, let's be honest. But I think if they don't win at Cardiff, then they are even more it? down than they are already. Fulham, ahead of their clash with Burnley, who won three in a row in all competitions have apparently been showing Gary Cahill, Victor Moses and Danny Drinkwater round the training ground as a kind of, all this could be yours, <laughs> move. Sorry, Daniel, I haven't asked you what you're most looking forward to. I just was going to mention Marco Silva, because this week Everton held a, a kind of public forum in which they discussed the future and in which Marco Silva's underperformance was um, detailed by the club's hierarchy, which was slightly surprising mm. given that they supposedly saw this short-termist manager as their long-term option and they're saying well it hasn't really been good enough so far which is probably true given the signings they made but it's interesting to see them already slightly leaning on him because um, as at Watford and as at Hull they started off fairly brightly and they've fallen off a cliff at about exactly the same time in terms of matches as he had at those clubs so yeah he, he really needs a win against Bournemouth Okay Rafa what are you most looking forward to this weekend? I'm just really the enjoying the fact that uh, we have a genuine title race. I know it might sound a bit trite, but uh, it feels almost like a novelty mm. to be in January and every game really matters at the top. So I think that's good. Absolutely. What I'm really looking forward to is hearing all about the French Coupe de la Ligue. Tom, we'll do that after this. Fetchy le Tom Williams, it's time for some French news. Fetchy uh, le Tom. Timothy's son and President George Ware has left PSG for Celtic. Is that a good move for him, for Celtic, for PSG? What, Tom? Yeah, good move for everyone, I think. I mean, he hasn't played very much. Um, it's it's hard, really, to get much of a handle on on how good he is. I mean, obviously, his surname means that he, he creates headlines. Um, very few of the Ware family members are not really good at football, I think, famously. Yes. I mean, they're all, yeah, they're all great. I'm just thinking of his cousin. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, that's right. Yeah. We'll move on. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know, good move for Celtic. Get a young, up-and-coming player. Good move for for him. Get, mm. get a bit more game time. Um, yeah, winners all round. Speaking of famous uh, footballing fathers, Marcus Turam was in the headlines this midweek. Why, Tom, why? Well, man of the moment, sensation in the Coupe de la Ligue. Holders PSG knocked out by Gangon, bottom of Ligue 1. Uh, PSG's first loss in a domestic cup match in 45 games since they lost to Montpellier in the Coupe de France in January 2014. They've wow. won every domestic cup since then. And ironically, the last team who weren't PSG to win a domestic cup were Gangon, who won the Coupe de France in 2014. That's extraordinary. Um, quite a curious game at Parc des Princes. Um, Gangon went super defensive, as you'd expect, um, and won three penalties. Marcus Turam took the first one and missed it, um, but they were then awarded another one, uh, which Yeni Ngbagoto scored to equalise after Neymar had put PSG ahead. Gangon then win another penalty in stoppage time, 
Marcus Turam steps up to take it. And this time he scores and Gangon go through. And interestingly, after the game, he said that as um, he was preparing to take the penalty, or rather after the penalty had been awarded, mm-hmm. Neymar encouraged him to take it. Said, oh, you know, you're a good young player. You should take this penalty. And Turam was wondering whether he was doing that because Neymar thought he'd miss it again. Uh, but he didn't. He scored. PSG are out. Gangon are through. And they join in the last four. Thierry Henry's Monaco, yes. who beat Rennes on, on penalties, 8-7. Uh, with Loic Badiashili, the goalkeeper, scoring the winning penalty after having saved three spot kicks in the shootout. Uh, Bordeaux, who beat Le Havre, and uh, Strasbourg, who beat Lyon 2-1. So we've got a, a pretty pretty unusual um, final four in the Coupe de la Ligue. Matt35 says, are Monaco going to get relegated as French League Cup winners? Equally, could happen to Gangon, because two of the, bo- the bottom two are both through to the semi-finals. Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, you know, Monaco will hope that, that this this result is, you know, the, the catalyst for them to turn a corner. I mean, they've got a big game this weekend. They're away yeah. at, at Marseille, who You're are completely going, you? in the doldrums. I'm going to Monaco-Nice next week. Oh, not the to... The big Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, oh, loving. Um, okay. Yeah, Monaco at Marseille on Sunday night. Marseille, seven games without a win in all competitions and the Rudy Garcia get-out graffiti has appeared on the walls of the, the Marseille um, changing room. Have so they stopped serving him in, in uh, boulangeries? I think we're getting at that at that Because that's, that's kind of... That's the kind of Mourinho buzz cut, mm. um, kind of red light on the... Uh, yeah, the, the, the Marseille equivalent. Um, and yeah, Monaco looks like they're on the verge of, of bringing in Cesc Fabregas. Has uh, that not gone through players. Basically, uh, in, in the, the reports in the French press suggest that everything is, is basically signed and sealed, but Chelsea want to bring in a replacement before they let him go. But Fabregas is, I mean, he was speaking about it, about it on Instagram. He's, you know, he, as far as he's concerned, he's a Monaco player. So yes, signs that things are perhaps starting to turn a bit for Monaco. Interesting. Okay, uh, two tough games awaiting them, though, one of which you're going to be enjoying. That sounds lovely. Uh, let's just get one or two questions from you, listener, if your name is, well, for a start, Craig Williams. Isn't it refreshing to see Stoke step off the managerial merry-go-round and take a chance on somebody up and coming, especially as the bookies had the likes of Moyes, Allardyce and co. at short odds? Tell us more, Daniel. Yeah, they've, they've uh, approached and appointed Nathan Jones, uh, the Luton Town manager, who's a, a, a very interesting character. He's incredibly religious. Um, he did an interview with the BBC Sport uh, last year in which he was asked a series of questions in which, to almost comical effect, every answer was, well, it was God's will. Well, it was God's will. He put down learning Spanish to God's will. He put down getting his first coaching job to God's will. And he also spoke at length about how remaining at Luton was God's will. So I wonder if God is Peter Coates, who's had a little word in his ear, the Stoke owner, and... He's got him in. It's a, it's it, mock. No, it's Daniel, a brave. But... It's a brave, brave appointment from Stoke because there was a reason why those names were mentioned. That's because Stoke are floundering in the Championship and they really need to get back into the Premier League as soon as possible. And that is exactly the time when you can remove your cynicism about those managers and think, well, actually, they're probably the best man for the job. Uh, Nathan Jones is had everything in the right place at Luton and everything isn't in the right place at, at Stoke at the moment. So it's a it's a brave appointment. Very nice. Uh, Danny Iacovelli says, will Sancho leave Dortmund in the next, next six months? And what do you think his market value now is? Raf? He will not leave Dortmund in the next six months. Um, I had a chance to speak to Michel Zorc in Marbella um, a few days ago. Okay. And Who's the, what, what DS? He's that a sporting yeah, director. That's the life, isn't it? Beyond reach. <laughs> I don't know if he kind of spoke out of turn by accident or if he knew exactly what he was saying, but he said, um, yeah, we're, we're totally aware of, of Jaden's... Um, 
market value and where he's going, etc. But I can assure you that he'll be with us next year, i.e. next season. But it almost sounds as if, well, after that, who knows? Because the offers will be coming in will be three-figure sums. I mean, there's there's absolutely no doubt that he's going to go for less money than Dembele, for example, went to Barcelona. And uh, they're bracing themselves. And in, a, in to an extent, they're kind of, they're used to it as part of the business plan. They bought him for £8 million. Pounds. Mm. You know, you sell him three years later for 120. How much did they pay for Dembele before they sold him for, what, 200? 15 <laughs> euros. Yeah, so you know, if City have a buy back or is it just first refusal there's no there's no price agreed on any of that is there to my knowledge no Dortmund ever since the Mario Götze debacle have made an article of faith while we're you know being very spiritual today uh, not to put in any release clauses so naming a price even if it was exclusive to City would 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 make the market and uh, I'd be very surprised if they would have you know, deviated from that. So, no, the first rights of refusal is really not worth the paper it's written on because it's down to the player. Um, it's not impossible that he might feel that, like Pogba, there is kind of unfinished business and he'll come back as a established player and maybe, you know, become the new face of Manchester City, but um, it's not on the cards at the moment as far as I know. OK, so let's get some uh, odds on the weekend's action and more. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. It's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, how was the League Cup for you this week? Um, it was quite exciting until Burton got absolutely demolished, but until then, interesting. Marvellous, marvellous. Well, let's get back to the league, shall we? Liverpool are still on top, remember? Um, but they're going to Brighton, who, as we always like to say on this show, have the seventh best home form in the Premier League, i.e. they're pretty good. Can they beat Liverpool? Well, they can. Um, Brighton's home form has been the key to their survival and Liverpool have technically lost two in a row, but we're not reading into those two things too much at all. Brighton are 17-2 to to win. Liverpool still odds on to get the victory, but that's 3-10, to which, despite how it sounds, is actually a good price for the best team in the league to win. I think that's good value. All right. Uh, City, they've had a terrible week, only scoring 16 goals, uh, conceding none. But Wolves are headed to them uh, and they've given them uh, some tough games in the last 12 months or so. Can they get a point at the Etihad? Yeah, Wolves seem to turn it on for the big boys, don't they? And it's not easy going to the Etihad, as Burton found out midweek. City are a huge 1-7 to seven to win. Wolves are 13-2 to two to get the draw. 14-1, to one, incredibly, to win. Or you can bet on the double chance, which is Wolves not to lose. And that gives you odds of 4-1. to one. All right, Lee, and let's finish up this week by uh, my asking you for a treble of no goals in Leicester versus Southampton, Cardiff versus Huddersfield and Fulham versus Burnley, where all the excitement is happening. Yeah, we were stung by your seemingly mad FA Cup treble last weekend. And this is similarly long odds. So for a nil-nil draw in each of those games, it gives you a combined 462 to 1. That's 17 to 2 for the Leicester game, 11 to 2 for the Cardiff game and 13 for 2 for the Burnley game. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. And you're back on Monday, Daniel. Yeah. A hat trick of appearances. Yeah. Um, will you be doing an Asian Cup roundup then as well? The pressure has been put on, yes. Apparently I will, yes. Brilliant. But you'll also be telling us what happens in uh, Arsenal's game at West Ham. I will. I look forward to that. Michael Cox will also be here and Ian Irving from the North. <laughs> Tom, what are you going to be getting up to this weekend? Um, watching some football, I expect. Playing uh-huh. some football. Uh, dream weekend. Nice. And Rafi, you've got 
uh, a big social function, and uh, which I'm looking forward to because I'm, I'm on the guest list, as are our friends, I presume Julien Laurent and James Horncastle. <laughs> oh, and Ben Green's there as well. And Ben Green. Producer Ben. All right, listener. Um, we'll send a photo. Yeah, we'll, we'll post... We'll post pictures. It's going to be amazing. We'll tell you all about that on Monday. Do have a super weekend yourself, listener. And I look forward to uh, joining you again after the weekend. For now, though, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.